Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this podcast series is going to be about the book of Genesis. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to, to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If you're interested in a deep analysis of the book of Genesis, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy what you hear here, and if you have any questions, you can share, link, and subscribe. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Genesis podcast. Uh, This discussion is going to be on Genesis chapter 12. Now, as a preliminary introduction to this chapter, I'm going to be reading some excerpts from uh, chapter uh, 1 of Abraham, because this is kind of a preliminary which leads into chapter 12. Um, And then also read some quotes about uh, the Abrahamic covenant, which is what this is mostly about. So let me uh, give you some ideas, some Um, preliminary things about uh, the Abrahamic Covenant. And while we're doing this, I want you to be thinking, and we'll talk about this at the end, who was the first person on earth to receive the Abrahamic Covenant? So be thinking about that, and we'll get to it at the end of of this discussion. Uh, So let me just explain a couple things about the Abrahamic Covenant, what it consists of. There are both earthly blessings and eternal parallels to the uh, Abrahamic Covenant. One of the promises was that uh, the promised land would be to those uh, of Abraham, uh, so that land would be given to them. Uh, the eternal parallel to that is that we will inherit the celestial kingdom. Another promise, uh, earthly blessing of the Abrahamic covenant is a great posterity. And uh, the eternal parallel to that is that we will have eternal marriage and eternal increase. And then the other blessing uh, in this life is that the gospel of Christ and the priesthood for Abraham and his posterity. So the gospel would be preached and uh, the priesthood would be given to Abraham and his posterity. And the eternal parallel is that we would have exaltation and eternal life. So that the basics of the, of the Abrahamic covenant is land, posterity, and priesthood. And so let me just go through a few things here about Abraham and us. First of all, out of the student uh, lesson manual, it says all church members are the seed of Abraham, which means that we are his descendants. Elder Joseph Fielding Smith said that the great majority of those who become members of the church are literal descendants of Abraham through Ephraim, son of Joseph. Those who are not literal descendants of Abraham and Israel must become such, and when they are baptized and confirmed, they are grafted into the tree and are entitled to all the rights and privileges as heirs. So most of the members of the church are literal descendants, but those that join the church that were not literal descendants become descendants of Abraham and become heirs just like as if they had been born in the covenant. It can be considered that the Abrahamic covenant was in existence before Abraham's time. The honor bestowed on this faithful dispensation leader was to have the covenant that eternally binds God and man named after him. A few others have been honored similarly, such as the law of Moses, the sign of the prophet Jonah, Uh, Melchizedek priesthood, and so on. Adam and the ancients, those before the flood, had the fullness of the gospel in the sense that we have it. They knew about Christ, baptism, salvation, and temple ordinances, and had the holy priesthood and all the rest. That same thing was true in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but so far we do not have an Old Testament that tells us this. There will surely be a day when we will have the Old Testament in its original form, so it will be it will demonstrate that fact. If I were to hazard a guess, I would say that it will not be until the millennium, and that was Bruce R. McConkie. Continuing on, uh, this is by Alfred Edersheim, who talks about Abraham. Hitherto, God had only interposed 
as in the flood and at the confounding of tongues to arrest the attempts of man against his purposes of mercy. But when God called Abram, he personally and actively interfered, and this time in mercy, not in judgment. The whole history of Abram may be arranged into four stages, each commencing with the personal revelation of Jehovah. The first, when the patriarch was called to his work and mission, which is Genesis 12 to 14. The second, when he received the promise of an heir and the covenant was made with him, Genesis 15 and 16. And the third, when that covenant was established in the change of his name from Abram to Abraham and in circumcision as the sign and seal of the covenant, and that's Genesis 17 to 21. And the fourth, when his faith was tried, proved, and perfected in the offering up of Isaac, and that's Genesis 22 to 25. These are, so to speak, the high points in Abram's history, which the patriarch successfully climbed and to which all the other events of his life may be, may be regarded as the ascent. So uh, let's talk about priesthood. In the heading to chapter 1 of Abraham, it mentions that Abraham seeks the blessings of the patriarchal order. So the question is, what does that mean? What is the patriarchal order? Joseph Smith explained that there are three grand orders of priesthood, not three priesthoods, but three orders of the priesthood. They are the Le Levitical order, or Aaronic, the Melchizedek order, and the patriarchal order, as spoken of in this verse. That was Joseph Smith. He says, all priesthood is Melchizedek. What was the power of Melchizedek? The, the, the prophet inquired, "'Twas not the priesthood of Aaron, which administered in outward ordinances and the offering of sacrifices. Those holding the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessings. In fact, that priesthood is a, is a perfect law of theocracy and stands as God to give laws to the people, administering endless lives to the sons and daughters of Adam. Abraham says to Melchizedek, I believe all that thou hast taught me concerning the priesthood and the coming of the Son of Man. So Melchizedek ordained Abraham and sent him away. Abraham rejoiced, saying, Now I have a priesthood. Again, that was Joseph Smith. As to what is involved in the patriarchal order of the priesthood, Elder McConkie said, Joseph Smith says that in the temple of God, there is an order of priesthood that is patriarchal. Go to the temple, he says, and find out about this order. So I went to the temple and I took my wife with me and we kneeled at the altar. There on that occasion, we entered the two of us into an order of the priesthood. When we did it, we had sealed upon us on a conditional basis, every blessing that God promised Father Abraham the blessing of exaltation and eternal increase, the name of that order of priesthood, which is patriarchal in nature, because Abraham was a natural patriarch to his posterity, is the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And so that's uh, that's what he's talking about here, that the patriarchal order we get or we obtain by going to the temple and being sealed to a spouse. Okay, um, also, um, let me read some more about the patriarchal order. Uh, the Melchizedek and the patriarchal priesthoods are essentially the same priesthood, but they differ in their organization and in the rights and prerogatives they possess. The patriarchal priesthood is the Melchizedek priesthood organized according to a family order. Hence, it is called the patriarchal priesthood. By contrast, the Melchizedek priesthood was organized according to a system of quorums and presiding offices. Though the rights and privileges of the Melchizedek priesthood are not appointed by promise to a given lineage within the chosen family, those of the patriarchal priesthood belong by right to a chosen lineage which God has appointed. Within the kingdom of God, the holy or Melchizedek priesthood is the presiding authority 
and each right or privilege that pertains to the patriarchal order must be appointed or sanctioned by the presiding high priest who holds the keys of the Melchizedek priesthood. At times, the keys of both the holy priesthood and the patriarchal priesthood centered in one man. This was true of Adam and of Noah, and it was also true of Enoch, for over those for those over whom he had jurisdiction. And so that's what we understand about the patriarchal order, that it is, it is still under the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood, um, which, which administers through quorums. All right. Um, let me then go down to um, chapter 12 of, Abraham, of Genesis. And this is the same as Abraham chapter 2, verse 6. So I'm going to read from the Abraham account since there's more information in that uh, account. And that, but it coincides with Genesis chapter 12. So beginning with Abraham chapter 2, verse 6, it reads, But I, Abraham, and Lot, my brother's son, prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord appeared unto me, and said unto me, Arise, and take Lot with thee, for I have purposed to take thee away out of Haran, to, and to make of thee a minister to bear my name in a strange land, which I will give unto thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession when they hearken to my voice. So Abraham first received the gospel by baptism, which is the covenant of salvation. Then he had conferred upon him the higher priesthood, and he entered into celestial marriage, which is the covenant of exaltation, gaining assurance thereby that he would have eternal increase. Finally, he received a promise that all of these blessings would be offered to all of his mortal posterity. Included in the divine promises to Abraham was the assurance that Christ would come through his lineage and the assurance that Abraham's posterity would receive certain choice promised lands as an eternal inheritance. All of these promises lumped together are called the Abrahamic covenant, those portions of it which pertain to personal exaltation and eternal increase are renewed with each member of the house of Israel who enters the order of celestial marriage. Through that order, the participating parties become inheritors of all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the next time you uh, participate in any temple ordinances, uh, especially sealing ordinances, pay attention to the promises that are given regarding the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 7, For I am the Lord thy God. I dwell in heaven. The earth is my footstool. I stretch my hand over the sea, and it obeys my voice. I cause the wind and the fire to be my chariot. I say to the mountains, Depart hence, and behold, they are, are taken away by a whirlwind in an instant suddenly. My name is Jehovah, and I know the end from the beginning. Therefore my hand shall be over thee. And I will make thee of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee above, the, above measure, and make thy name great among all nations, and thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. In other words, the responsibility of the seed of Abraham, which we are, is to be missionaries, to bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. That's what President Benson said. Um, Joseph Fielding Smith said this, Thus through this scattering, uh, scattering of the, of the seed of Abraham throughout the world, the Lord has caused Israel to mix with, all, with the nations and bring the Gentiles within the blessings of the seed of Abraham. We are preaching the gospel now in all parts of the, of the world, and for what purpose? To gather out from the Gentile nations the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is by this scattering that the Gentile nations have been blessed, and if they will truly repent, and be entitled to the blessings, to all the blessings promised to Abraham, to Israel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal. 
uh, verse 10, still in Abraham 2, and I will bless them through thy name, for as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name, and shall be accounted thy seed, and shall rise up and bless thee as their father. So we are all descendants of Abraham. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that which curse thee, and in thee that is in thy priesthood, and in thy seed that is thy priesthood. For I have given to thee a promise that this right shall, come, shall continue in thee, and in thy seed after thee. That is to say, the literal seed, or the seed of the body. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, let's see, who is this here? John Taylor said, the, I'm sorry, Bruce Armaconkey said, the royal lineage comes down through Isaac and Jacob and not Abraham's other descendants. That was to clarify that it comes through Isaac and not uh, through Ishmael. Uh, and who are the prophets that existed among ancient Israel? They were descendants of Abraham, and to them came the word of God in the light of revelation. Who was Jesus after the flesh of the, Abra of the seed of Abraham? Who were the, his twelve apostles of the seed of Abraham? Who were the people that came to, his, to this continent, Lehi and his family, of the seed of Abraham? Who were the apostles that had come among, among them that spread forth among the millions that then lived upon this continent of the seed of Abraham? Who was Joseph Smith of the seed of Abraham? That was from John Taylor. Uh, and so through Abraham shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The seed of Abraham is so universally spread over the earth that it is a little difficult to suppose that there are any people left on earth who do not have some of the blood of Abraham in their veins, excepting the seed of Cain. There would be many people who have very little of the blood of Israel, but I believe the seed of Cain has none. That was from Bruce R. McConkie. Even the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal, it is the seed of Abraham who themselves hold the same priesthood held by their noble forebear who will take salvation to all the nations of the earth. Verse 12. Now, after the Lord hath withdrawn from speaking to me and withdrawn his face from me, I said in my heart, thy servant has sought thee earnestly. Now I have found thee and we can find him too. Thou didst send thine angel to deliver me from the gods of Elkanah, and I will uh, and I will do well to hearken unto thy voice. Therefore let thy servant rise up and depart in peace. So I, Abraham, departed as the Lord had said unto me, and Lot with me. And I, Abraham, was sixty and two years old when I departed out of Haran. Now in Genesis chapter 12, it says that he was seventy-five years old. So there's a difference there between the book of Abraham and the Genesis account. Verse 15, And I took Sarai, whom I took to, to wife, when I was in Ur in Chaldea, and Lot, my brother's son, and all our substance that we had gathered, and the souls that we had won in Haran, and came forth into, in the way to the land of Canaan, and dwelt in tents as we came on our way. Therefore eternity was our covering, and our rock and our salvation as we journeyed from Haran by the way of Jershon to come to the land of Canaan. Now I, Abraham, built an altar in the land of Jershon and made an offering unto the Lord and prayed that the, that the famine might be turned away from my father's house, that, that they might not perish. Verse 18, And then we passed from Jershon through the land unto the place of Shechem. It was situated in the plains of Moreh, and we had already come into the borders of the land of the Canaanites. And I offered sacrifice there in the plains of Moreh. And called on the Lord devoutly, because he had, because we had already come into the land of this idolatrous nation. And the Lord appeared unto me in answer to my prayers, and said unto me, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And I, Abraham, arose from the place of the altar which I had built unto the Lord, and removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched my tent there. This is the same Bethel where 
Um, Jacob has his vision. Bethel means house of house of God. So this is like the temple. Bethel on the west and high on the east, and there I built another altar unto the Lord and called again upon the name of the Lord. And I, Abraham, journeyed going on still towards the south. And there was a continuation of a famine in the land, and I, Abraham, concluded to go into, the, into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine became very grievous. And it came to pass that I was, as I was come near into, to enter into Egypt, the Lord said unto me, Behold, Sarai thy wife is very fair woman to look upon. Now remember, if Abraham is 62, uh, Sarai is about 10 years younger or so, so she's about 52. And yet it says she's very fair to look upon. Verse 23, Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see her, they, sh they will say, She is his wife, and they will kill you, but they will save her alive. Therefore see that ye, see that ye do on this wise. So we need a little explanation about this. Um, it was the custom back then. I'm not saying it's right, but it was the custom among people um, of this uh, time frame and this place that it was okay for them to kill the husband of a wife that they wanted. Um, it wasn't okay to kill a brother, though, because that was a family member, not the husband. But, it, but they felt it was okay to, if they wanted a woman, they could kill the husband to take her. Um, and so this was the custom back then. So that's why God is telling Abraham to say that she's your sister and not your wife, and then they will spare you. And so this is what's going on here. Uh, verse 24, let her say unto the Egyptians, she is thy sister and thy soul shall live. Now, are we saying that this was a lie? Back in the day, they would call near relatives like this uh, a sister. Uh, Sarai is actually his niece, Abraham's niece. She's the daughter of his brother. And so she's a niece, which could be theoretically called a sister if you wanted to get technical, I guess. It's not a sister, but uh, it's a niece and it's close. So the, back in the day, they could do that. And it wouldn't be a lie. Verse 25, And it came to pass that I, Abraham, told Sarai, my wife, and all that the Lord had said unto me, Therefore say unto them, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Uh, and so that's what's happening here now. Um, let's go down to Genesis chapter 12, which continues the story, uh, beginning in verse 14. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. So he's treating Abraham well as thinking that he's her brother because he wants Abraham's approval to marry her. Uh, now, had he been the husband, he would have just killed her, killed him and then taken her as a wife. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that that's what the custom was. Verse 16, And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. So he's buying or paying Abraham, who he thinks is her brother, for, uh, for Sarah. Um, verse 17, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Well, Abraham knows why, and the Pharaoh knows why. He would have killed him. Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now, therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So as, as his sister, Abraham would have been safe 
uh, and not killed, but as a husband, he would have been killed. I guess I've said that enough, haven't I? So Abraham is going to leave Egypt laden with riches, just like the Israelites are going to leave hundreds of years later into the future. So not only does, so all the stuff that he gives Abraham as a dowry for Sarah, he just lets him keep as he leaves, as he leaves, um, leaves Egypt. Uh, this is an interesting story, isn't it? So to answer the question about who was the first to receive the Abrahamic covenant, you probably figured it out already, and that was Adam. Adam was the first to receive the Abrahamic covenant, but it's called the Abrahamic covenant in honor of Abraham's faithfulness. I bear testimony to the truth of the gospel, and it is we as heirs of Abraham have all the rights of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as long as we live worthy of that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hope you like this. See you next time.